Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning. Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Great to be here. Let me pray and then we will dive in. Father God, we want to bless you this morning. We want to bless you with our worship. We want to bless you as we feast on your word. We want to bless you as we enjoy the fellowship of a people redeemed by the blood of Jesus. God, we are a grateful people. Tune our hearts to worship you this morning. Amen. All right. So we are in our fourth week of our series on the mission and vision of Christ Church Kingwood. And this morning we're talking about gospel-centered growth. It's the, the last of these four ways that we as a church hope to fulfill our vision of glorifying God and making disciples together. And then next week we're going to wrap the series up by talking about the gospel-centered church. We're going to kind of tie everything together. And if you're curious about where we're headed after that, we are going to be diving into the book of Acts. Yes, it's a long one. We're going to be walking through the book of Acts pretty much for the rest of the year. It'll take us right up to Advent. But today, we are talking about gospel-centered growth. And when we talk about gospel-centered growth or church growth in general, what often comes to people's minds is the word success. We live in a success-driven culture. Everybody wants to be successful. They want to be part of things that are successful. And if you're going to be successful, you kind of have to have something to measure. You have to have something to compare, right? Successful compared to what? And we can see this all over society, and we can see it in the church. One of the first questions I typically get when I tell someone I'm a pastor is, well, how big is your church, right? How many people are in your church? Because in their mind, that will tell them something about me. It will tell them something about this place, about how good of a pastor I really am, or how much respect I deserve, how many bottoms are in the seats on Sunday morning. And the temptation towards that kind of success is real. There are times when my dark little heart wants to be praised. It wants to be known. It wants to be successful. I mean, who doesn't want to be successful? But success isn't the enemy, right? You can be successful and faithful to Jesus. But we have to be careful. Because the allure of success is a tricky animal. We have to be conscious of how exactly we're defining success, as well as how are we pursuing it. Because I know without a shadow of a doubt, we could dress this space up. 
We could turn the kids' ministry into a theme park. And we could make the gospel a story about how awesome you guys are. You are awesome, by the way. But if we did those things, we would grow. We would be successful in a way. All we have to do is make everybody really comfortable. There's obviously a problem with that. There's this twofold danger of trying to make us all comfortable. First off, our gathering and our worship would become about us, right? We would be the point. And as we talked about in week one, we are not the point. And secondly, if we pursue comfort, we will inevitably have to water down the truth of God's word. We have to. Because what pierces and convicts and unsettles people the most inside the church is the gospel itself. The gospel makes people uncomfortable. It gets in our business. It exposes false hopes and counterfeit joys. It's this offensive reality that you aren't the point. I'm not the point. Christ is the point. We are hopeless and helpless apart from him. It's this reality that your money or your influence or your education or your social standing, all of these things that make people pretty important out in the world, they mean nothing in the kingdom of God. We are all laid bare before the cross of Christ. We bring nothing to the table except a humble awareness of our need for a righteousness that we cannot produce. A righteousness that has been offered to us in Jesus Christ. And that is a hard message in an affluent society like ours. Our flesh is a verse to the reality that we are weak and we need to be saved. But that's exactly why we stand on the gospel. We need it every day. As, as Paul said to the Corinthian believers who were living in a culture of affluence and entertainment and, and sexual sin, he said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I decided to know nothing. And so for myself and the elders here, the call is simple. We're going to preach the word of God for the glory of God and trust that lives will be transformed by the power of God. And I believe that God will grow his church in his time. With that said, when we talk about gospel-centered growth, we're not just talking about numbers or bottoms in seats. That's a form of growth. But that's not the primary metric Scripture uses to measure success. The, me the metric of growth that we see in Scripture is not the number of people who show up on Sunday, but the degree to which the hearts of those people love Jesus and walk in obedience to him. A healthy church in the eyes of God is a community that is growing in the gospel. A community that is strong in the love of Christ. A community that is serving and sacrificing for one another. Who proclaims the gospel and longs to see the glory of God cover the earth like the water covers the sea. 
And when we, as a community, grow in that way, when we grow spiritually mature, rooted in the gospel, we'll also grow in numbers. Not because of some event that we put on on Sunday morning, but, but because we will be a community of people who radiate with the love of Christ, who can't remain silent about the glory of our God, and who draw people into the community by proclaiming salvation and life through Jesus Christ alone. That is gospel-centered growth. It is the result of a people who have been united by the blood of Jesus Christ, who are fueled by worship, and who long to walk in righteousness so that God might be made much of. And that is my hope for this church. I do hope we continue to grow in size, but just like we talked about last week with gospel-centered service, God is not just after our actions or the results of our actions. He's after our hearts. He's not looking for the perfect church, but for a people with an ever-growing joy and desire to enter into his presence. So we want to be a people who are growing in the gospel. And hopefully that's why you're here. You want to grow. You want to experience the joy of God's presence and live a life that brings glory to him. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul paints this great picture of what gospel-centered growth looks like and how it is that this growth happens. And it's kind of a long text. I'll read it and then we'll we'll walk through it. It's Ephesians chapter 4 starting in verse 11. Paul says, And he, that is God, gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers... To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunningness, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. This is the word of the Lord. And so the first thing that we see here is that God gave to the church the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. That is, God called and gifted people to lead. And as we talked about last week, this isn't leadership like the world defines it. Paul isn't talking about rock star pastors or internet prophets. He's he's talking about people who have been called and equipped to pour their lives out for the church. And I know Christian leadership has been corrupted in so many ways throughout his history. It's been abused. It's been perverted. But the famous guys 
who rolled around with Jesus, they suffered and they struggled. They were beaten and tortured. And most of them ended up being killed for their faith. There is nothing glamorous about true gospel ministry. It is a life laid down and a life poured out. But what stands out in Paul's words here is that he doesn't say that he gave us all of these leaders to do the work of ministry. That's weird, right? That's how a lot of people view church these days. Pastors and ministers, you're the professionals, right? I'm a professional Christian. (laughs) They're the ones doing ministry. They're the experts. And everyone else shows up on Sunday to sing some songs and glean a nugget of wisdom that you can take with you throughout the week. And if we have unbelieving friends, don't worry. You bring them to the big show on Sunday where the professional minister is going to tell them about Jesus. Because once again, that's what we do for a living, right? It's true. That's that's what I grew up with. It is this come and see mentality of the church. If we make it cool enough, comfortable enough, exciting and engaging enough, then we remove all the discomfort from the community to actually need to worry about telling anyone about Jesus All you have to do is just bring them on Sunday. We got you. You sit back. Enjoy your coffee. But you guys drank all the coffee this week. It was empty. I I don't get it. It never happens. But good job. And the thing about as crazy as that is, God uses it. He uses it. He does all the time. And when you bring your unbelieving friends here, we're going to tell them about Jesus. Bring them. But here's what Paul says the purpose of these leaders are. It's not to do the work of ministry, but rather to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who are these saints? Oh, yeah, you, me. We're saints. Our job as leaders is to equip you for the work of ministry for building up or growing the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's big. So the job of leaders is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, and then the next line says, for building up the body of Christ. And once again, I don't think Paul is saying the leaders are the ones doing this building up. You could read it that way. But I think a better reading in the context is that the leaders are equipping the saints for the work of ministry. And the work of ministry they are equipping the saints for is building up the body of Christ. So the result of a church growing mature in Christ is that It builds itself up. That's exactly what we read in verse 16. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. That is pretty amazing. You have been called to ministry. You've been called to build up the body of Christ. That's why we say time and again, you are the church. It's not a building. 
It's not an organization. It's a people. You are the church. We don't show up for church on Sunday morning. We gather as the church. And then after we worship and, and hear scripture and fellowship, we go back out into the world to honor God as the church. So God gave us these leaders to equip the saints, right? Remember, that's you. For the work of ministry so that we all might build up the church together. And then verse 13, until we attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, all of this equipping and ministering and growing is a process that will continue until we arrive at perfect unity of faith, perfect knowledge of Jesus, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Which means that we have been called to grow together until Jesus returns in glory. When we are perfectly united with him and with one another, and we stand in the presence of God, perfectly sanctified. But until that glorious day when sin and death are no more, we as the church are called to grow in Christ, to grow in our knowledge of him and faith by the power that is in him, in us through him. Loving, building one another up, caring, serving, goes on in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, ouch, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So there's a danger, the danger of not growing together as a community in Christ, the danger of seeing the church as an event and the leaders as professionals, never heeding the call of God and living out the gospel together, is that some people, even the church itself, can get stuck in infancy. It could be defined by immaturity. That was the Corinthian church. As Paul said to them, I fed you with milk, not solid food. For you were not ready, and even now you are not ready yet. Paul's like, I prepared the food. I, I, I put it on the plate. I showed you how to eat it. And, and you're acting like a baby. You're old enough to drive a car and go to war. You've produced children of your own, but you're showing up on Sunday and wanting to be spoon-fed. Then you go home and you starve all week long only to come back the next Sunday for your weekly feeding. That's not healthy. People need to eat more than once a week. That's why we have a Bible reading plan. That's why we have small groups. That's why our men and women in various groups get together. That's why the pastors are available during the week. We want you to learn to feed yourself. And then we want you to help others feed themselves. We want you to feed others. 
I mean, I love standing up here and preaching the word, but if it's the only time you feast on God's word during the week, reach out to someone. You're not the only one, but let us know. There are men and women in this community that would love to show you how to cook yourself a steak. Matt Labasso, he can cook a mean steak. And he can help you feast on the word of God. He can help you prepare a feast and invite others in. That is the call on our lives. Because if we're not growing as a community, if we're not stirring up one another and encouraging one another in the gospel, then we will devolve into adolescence. We will struggle with the same sins, fall into the same traps, talk about the same fears, and yet never see the power of God at work in our midst. And I don't want that. That sounds futile. We already read that we're not going to reach full maturity until Christ returns in glory. It ain't happening. But my prayer is that we see growth that we see old sins put to death so that we can struggle with some new ones. I want to see old fears wiped away so we can tackle the next ones. They're coming. Because faithfulness to the call of God on this community means that we will struggle. We'll struggle. We will deal with sin and fear and doubt and anxiety. My hope is simply that we struggle well that we struggle together, that we would continually point one another to the saving work of Jesus and the power that is promised in him as we struggle alongside one another, as one people for the glory of God. And the danger, the danger of this perpetual adolescence in a community of not growing in the gospel or in our understanding of God is that we then become susceptible to deception. Paul says we're tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and deceitful schemes, right? That's why we preach through books of the Bible on Sunday. That's why we talk about scripture in small groups and gather together to disciple one another. Not to pack our brains with information, but to fill our hearts and our minds with the truth of God. Because there are people who will try to lead you astray. They're there. There are false teachers and false doctrines. There are people who will feed you lies under the guise of Christianity. And on top of that the voice that speaks the most persuasive lies to us is our own. Our flesh is always trying to convince us that God could never love us, that we are too wicked, that we are beyond salvation, that we should reside in that shame, that there's greater joy found in that new house, in those clothes, in some new hobby or the right friends or the next Amazon purchase, whatever. Find your joy there. Our flesh is always putting doubt into our minds. And if we're not confident in the gospel, if we're not preaching the gospel to ourselves, if we don't know the God we serve, it is so easy to be led astray, to believe whatever anyone says simply because they put pastor before their name. 
or to form an image of God based on our feelings or our experiences rather than who he says that he is in his word. This is why God gave us the community so that even when we struggle, because it will come, when we doubt, even when we've given in to the sin or the fear or the shame, we have people around us to speak the truth of God into our hearts, to walk alongside us and struggle with us so that we as a community might grow in Christ. And finally, in verses 15 and 16, Paul paints this picture of what gospel-centered growth looks like. Here's the alternative to being a grown man or grown woman who still needs spoon-fed. The alternative to being blown back and forth by every wind of doctrine or deceptive scheme. He says, rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Such a beautiful picture. Christ is the head and we collectively are the body. We have been joined to one another by him. We are held together by him. We have been equipped by him and our growth comes from him. Our growth and health as a church, the measuring stick by which scripture evaluates a community is hearts that love Jesus Christ. Not just my heart, not just your heart, but a community knit together by God, corporately pursuing the glory of God. A a community where Christ's heart grows to be our heart, where our actions reflect kingdom values, where, where we know and we believe that every person in this room who has trusted in Jesus for salvation has an integral part to play in the body of Christ. Paul doesn't say the body grows strong when you have a really great pastor and leaders and a handful of faithful people. He says when each part is working properly, the result is that the body grows so that it builds itself up. As we read in Romans 12, Verses four and six, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Paul says use them. You are the church, and God has gifted you for the upbuilding of the church. And our individual health affects the entire church, right? You need to hear that. Your health, my health, our individual health affects this community. 
If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We're the church. We are a bunch of messy, prideful, sin-laden people who have nothing to offer God that would warrant his favor. And yet, he loved us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bear the weight of our sin, to take the wrath that we deserved for our sin, and to give us all the blessings and all the promises that were his on account of his righteousness. And it is through Christ that we have been reconciled to God and united with one another. God says, I'm building a new kingdom, a new kind of community, like nothing the world has ever seen before. We have been redeemed, adopted, empowered, and called to live out this new kingdom reality in this world. And he united us with himself and with one another so that no matter how hard life gets, no matter how big the storms that come are, and we've seen big ones, we will never struggle alone. We all want this kind of community, right? But wanting it and living it are not the same thing. The only hope of growing as this kind of community is found in Christ. It is only realized when we, as a community, grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And that's my prayer, that we would continue to grow, that we would continue to draw near to Christ, that we would not take for granted what God is doing in this community, that we would not disregard God's word when he says that every part is crucial for the health of the whole. And I'm so encouraged by what God has already done and what he is doing in this community, right? Brag on you every week, getting big heads, but I have never seen a community where the love of Christ is so evident. And yet God can do so much more. He will do so much more if we continue to pursue him and his glory together. So let me close us out with Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for this community, for the unique, diverse people you have brought together from so many places to be here, to be united for your purposes and your glory. And God, I pray that you would continue to shape and grow us as your people. That each of us would see that we are necessary for the health of this community. And that we would use our time and energy, our gifts and resources to proclaim the love of Jesus, both inside and outside of this community. 
Father God, you have adopted us as sons and daughters, and you have called us to follow Jesus. Empower us by your spirit to do this together so that we might build this church up in love. Amen. Praise God Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamlin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org.